Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Please follow along on, in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, and the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on the right. Hear the word of the Lord. From the book of Isaiah, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And from the Gospel of Luke, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who, have, who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering the, to be peaceful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Pastor Gene. I am one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church. It is part of our rhythm of worship to sit in silence for a moment, to set aside any distractions we may have brought with us. At the same time, we can ask God to help us to be in a posture to receive his word uh, this morning. And so after a moment of silence, I'll go ahead and open us up in prayer. Gracious God, I am just always grateful for you and this opportunity where we can worship you in this space, uh, at home, virtually. Thank you for this opportunity where we could uh, sing praises to you and to listen to your word. And so may these words edify the church. May we be encouraged to love and serve our neighbors and to uh, bring glory to your name. So we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Church, I cannot believe we are a week away from Christmas. Doesn't it feel like 2022 uh, started just like a month ago or something? Or is that just me? Uh, now that we are a week away, uh, lots of memories tend to flood uh, my mind uh, when I, you know, now that Christmas is coming uh, soon. Uh, I remember fond memories with my family where we would go skiing uh, during Christmas break uh, in the powdery mountainside near Lake Tahoe. 
um, difficult memories would come to mind as well, where one year I had to spend Christmas alone. Uh, loneliness can hit us particularly hard during the holiday season. And there are embarrassing ones that I wish would never resurface uh, in my mind. But I do have one embarrassing story that happened during Christmas, uh, the Christmas season, and somehow became a core memory. Uh, back in 2018, my girlfriend at the time, and who is now my beloved wife, Natalie, and I uh, planned a trip to California for her to visit my family for the very first time. You can probably guess that traveling across the country with, with someone you're dating to meet family means we're pretty serious. Uh, my parents knew that I was bringing someone special, uh, so we started to brainstorm of how she could meet my immediate and extended family. They suggested hosting everyone uh, over at their house uh, for a feast like Korean barbecue, sushi, steak, and beverages of all kinds. And not to brag, my parents are pretty fantastic home cooks, and they would uh, kill it uh, at, this, uh, at this home dinner. Uh, but to be honest, I had some hesitations about this idea because it would be a really large undertaking for my parents to host a dinner uh, for about 15 family members. But they insisted. I was absolutely pumped for this dinner, and uh, that was months away, and our departure date could not come soon enough. Natalie was uh, fully aware of this party and made the uh, possible uh, mental preparations for it. And naturally, she felt excitement, nervousness, and probably overwhelmed at the thought of meeting everyone in one night. And then, days before our flight, I received the following call from my mom. Hey, Jean, so remember our plans to host a dinner party for you and Natalie with our family? Well, uh, there are some unexpected logistical challenges, so it's probably best for us to eat at a restaurant instead of at home. But don't worry, uh, everyone can still make it, and uh, they're super excited to meet Natalie. Uh, when she told me this, I was a little bummed at first, but I said, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, it makes sense that hosting dinner for immediate and extended family would be challenging. Plus, there were plenty of uh, restaurants uh, nearby that my parents, uh, at my parents' place, so uh, we can find uh, an appropriate restaurant for them to meet Natalie. Lo and behold, the restaurant my family chose is the famous and loved by most people, Denny's. That's right, Denny's, the American-style diner where you can proudly uh, order the trademark original Grand Slam at any time of day or night. Golly, um, so my face was flush with embarrassment just thinking about Natalie meeting my family for the first time at a Denny's. This was supposed to be a perfect evening with delicious food, hanging out with family, and having, uh, hanging out with family in a, comfort, in a comfortable home. I was hoping the night would have great connections and conversations with aunts, uncles, and cousins. Instead, we ate at a Denny's where we walked past a, a booth that had dirty plates from pre previous customers and where the waiter rolled his eyes after seating a party of 15. And I don't mean to shame Denny's. It's, this is just not what I had pictured Natalie meeting my family for the first time. I'd expected it to be at our home with delicious Korean food that was meaningful to my family and where everything is just perfect. 
But instead, it happened at a Denny's. Uh, the evening still turned out uh, better than expected. Uh, she connected well with my family, and they uh, love each other so much. Uh, she still said, my wife Natalie still said I do when we got married, so um, it's all worked out. Um, this is a classic example where expectations don't match with the reality. And we've all experienced this at some point in our lives. Uh, it can be a highly anticipated movie that flops when, it, uh, when it's released in theaters. Or when we find inspiration to bake animal cupcakes, but it doesn't turn out the way we thought it would. Uh, maybe there's a time where we read great reviews about a daycare for a child, but, that, but then the child has a terrible experience there. Or maybe we recently got a pet and realized how much work it's required to take care of it. Uh, sometimes our expectations don't match with reality, and when that happens, it's not always bad, though. Uh, maybe we discover that our feelings for someone isn't, one way, isn't a one-way lane, but goes both ways. Or when we uh, receive an unprompted meeting invite from our supervisor and we're worried that it'll be a bad meeting, but it turns out to be a positive experience. Uh, it can be a, a photo with housemates for a Christmas card that turned out to be way better than, ex uh, than planned. Expectations don't always match with reality. Uh, and they can be negative outcomes or positive ones too. And this can be especially true when we're in a season of waiting. How do we respond when there's a mismatch between expectations and reality? Well, this is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. Uh, each week of Advent, we've been spending time in the events leading up to Jesus' birth or the Nativity uh, in the Gospel of Luke. At the same time, we've been briefly looking at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, a lyrically rich song that resonates with the Advent season. Uh, in case the person next to you had forgotten what Advent is or needs a refresher, Advent means coming or arrival. It's a season about waiting. We're waiting for something that uh, was promised to us to come to fruition. It's a season where we anticipate what was foretold. It's a time where we look at our current situation and tell ourselves we're not content with where we are and there's hope for something better that will become a reality. Uh, Pastor Ethan kicked off the sermon series by providing us context as to why the Israelites were in a season of Advent to begin with. Uh, the old, uh, an Old Testament person named Isaiah prophesied a Messiah, a Savior, who would come and rescue God's people from captivity of their enemies. But they had to wait like 700 years before that promised uh, Savior arrived. And then Bryn, Pastor Bryn shared uh, about Simeon, a righteous Jewish man who expectantly waited for the highly anticipated Savior. In fact, he was he had to wait until he was really old before meeting the Lord. And after all that waiting, Simeon, uh, Simeon's faith did not waver, but he clinged closely to God's assurance that he would meet the Messiah. And last week, Pastor Marcus from Haverhill Commons explored the situation of Zechariah, who had been praying for a child. And all that time of waiting, he lost sight of God's care for him and his wife Elizabeth. He lost all hope. Zechariah uh, had fallen into despair. 
But the Lord answered their prayers and gave them a son who would prepare the way of the Lord. In all, in all the uh, three cases, God has shown up in their lives and remains faithful to the promises made so long ago. And this morning, we're looking at Mary's response after receiving the message from the angel Gabriel uh, about her carrying the Son of God. She praises God for fulfilling the promise he had made to her ancestors. And though the way it plays out would likely surprise her. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please open to Luke chapter 1. And I know we've been spending the past three weeks uh, in the first two chapters of Luke, but it's always helpful to have a refresher about the context of our passage. And so we have Mary, a young teenage virgin who is about to be wedded to Joseph, receiving news from an angel who kind of changed her life. Uh, the conversation goes like this. Hey, Mary, guess what? You're going to have a son. Surprise! Um, and this son isn't going to be your average Joe. Uh, this child will be called the Son of the Most High. And you think that's impressive? There's so much more. God will give this child the throne of his great-great-great-great-grandfather David, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asks a very logical question. How can this be? Because the last time I checked, I'm still a virgin. And the angel responds with this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And Mary gives this angel the okay by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The angel goes away, and then the dust settles. What? This is, this is wild. Mary is left to process this unbelievable, life-changing, groundbreaking news. And what would any of us do when we receive news like this? We have to talk to someone about it, right? I mean, we tweet about it. Maybe we upload a picture on Instagram with the following face. You know, with the caption, oh my gosh, you can't believe what I just heard. And so Mary beelines to Zechariah and Elizabeth's home to share this news. And uh, Elizabeth is absolutely stoked about it. And after an enthusiastic celebration, she calls Mary blessed. And I want us to pay really close attention to verse 45. Mary isn't blessed because she's righteous or highly favored. She isn't blessed because she's about to carry the Son of God in her. Mary's blessed because she believed what was told to her. She trusted the news from the angel wholeheartedly, saying, May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary's blessed because she believed what God had told her. And from there, she sings a hymn of praise to God. And if you have your Bible, some, uh, some call this section Mary's Song of Praise. In other Bibles, this section is known as the Magnificat, the Magnificat, which means magnify in Latin. Some translations will say, my soul magnifies the Lord. Others will say, use glorify or praise in place of magnify. But all these words communicate the same idea, that Mary responds in worship because God kept his promise of bringing a Savior to them. 
let's dive deeper into the Magnificat. Uh, first, Mary's uh, song reflects parallel themes of, uh, in the Old Testament songs of praise. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, it starts with the Israelites being enslaved by Pharaoh. God uses Moses and Aaron to demand the king of Egypt to let God's people go. But Pharaoh kept refusing. So God sent plague after plague until Pharaoh released the Israelites in captivity. And as they crossed the parted Red Sea, God's people sang one of the oldest hymns found in the Old Testament about God rescuing them. It kind of goes like this. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. What's fascinating is that Mary sings a hymn to God just like this. The God who displayed mercy and grace thousands of years ago is still active today. God understands that Israelites are troubled because of the countless nations that had conquered them. And just like the hymn found in Exodus, Mary views God as her personal Savior. As she uh, recalls the famous Exodus story that she grew up with, Mary believes that God will continue to show faithfulness not only to her, but also to her people who are being occupied by the powerhouse nation called Rome. The second observation, uh, the Magnificat is God-centric. Besides the three-ish verses of the song, the focal point is God. God extends mercy to those who fear him. God performs mighty deeds with his arm. God brings down rulers from their thrones. He fills the hungry with good things. God helps his servant Israel just as he promised. Mary worships God who has proven to show his faithfulness to God's people time and time again. These are truths about God from what, we found, uh, what, what is found in the scriptures. And they speak about God subverting uh, social norms. Uh, during Jesus' day, status in society played out as a hierarchy. The wealthy, the leaders, and the well-connected were the upper class, the important people, the top of society. Power could be derived from a, a, a job or role that repre- represented someone with authority. Uh, privilege was readily available to those uh, in the upper echelon of that society. And then those, there were those outside of that prestigious circle, the working class, the poor, the marginalized, the, the foreigner. They were categorized as the lower class. However, the lower class did have one thing that the upper class would greatly appreciate, public praise, public praise. The lower class uh, could receive favors from the upper class in exchange for positive recognition. Uh, It was a tit-for-tat type of society, kind of like you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. The upper class was praised and revered. They were the people who were honored and glorified in that society. Never the lower class people. But in God's kingdom, it's the humble, the humble who are exalted Those who are on the fringes of society are shown honor instead of shame. The proud, on the other hand, are scattered about. The noble are dethroned in God's kingdom. 
And this subversive society isn't unique to Mary's prayer. Centuries earlier, a woman named Hannah also prayed for God valuing, uh, valuing the poor and the needy by placing them at honorable seats. It is without a doubt that God cares for the marginalized, the immigrant, the ostracized, the foreigner, the forgotten. And Mary worships the God who identifies with the lowly. And remember that Mary is still in a season of waiting as she glorifies God. Mary still has to wait for Jesus to form in her womb. She has to wait for Jesus to learn how to walk, learn how to talk, for him to learn the Jewish customs of worship. It'll take time for Jesus to become a teenager and then an adult. And as she's waiting and watching her child grow up, I wonder, I wonder if she's repeating the words that the angel had spoken to her. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never, never end. And to be honest, we don't really know what, what exactly Mary, or how Mary felt as she waited uh, for Jesus to be born or how he started to grow up. But she must have had some expectations of what God's promise would look like. She might be dreaming of what that could look like for her and her family, for her relatives, for Jewish neighbors and all of Israelites. She might imagine finally being liberated from the foreign nation after Israel uh, was conquered by the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, and now Rome's, Romans. Over time, these dreams turn into eagerness. And then years pass, and eagerness gradually morphs into anticipation. Then decades go by, and anticipation unknowingly becomes expectation. I wonder if reality started to settle in for Mary when Jesus went off on his ministry, proclaiming the year of the Lord, calling disciples to him, performing miracles. She heard how Jesus was debating with religious leaders. Then she learned how Jesus was thrown out of his hometown because he angered his fellow townies. Mary discovered the terrible trial results before Pontius Pilate and how Jesus was sentenced to be crucified. And then she saw her son, who's bloody and bruised, hanging on the cross by nails. And on that cross, Jesus, her son, died. She might have thought, isn't Jesus supposed to be great and well-respected? Wasn't he supposed to establish a kingdom that will reign forever and ever? Wasn't he highly, the, the highly anticipated and promised Savior? And she wasn't alone in this. There were others who were also disappointed when Jesus died, and their expectations didn't match with reality. How many of us resonate with this mismatch between expectations and reality? Some of you started a job that seemed to be the right fit, but it turned out to be a bad one. Or a highly anticipated event falls through, but some, something serendipitous happened that redeemed that time. 
Maybe you went to a routine doctor's appointment thinking it'll be the same as the last checkup, but then the doctor discovers an abnormality. Or it might be a conversation that you've been dreading to have, but it turned out to be a lot better than what you imagined. Or the presentation at school that you thought you bought was well-received by your teacher. Maybe you expected God to do something or provide something or lead you somewhere and it didn't happen. Or maybe God led you somewhere else. We're all familiar with this feeling. But, but if our expectations matched our reality, I don't think we would ever imagine the empty tomb. We probably wouldn't dream of Jesus' resurrection. So maybe it is a good thing that expectation doesn't match with reality. Mary's praise about God in the Magnificat was true. Maybe the outcome of it was way different than what she had expected on a big picture scale. But her expectation of who God was, who Jesus was going to become, were all still true. Just not how she first envisioned them. All expectations were shattered through Jesus' life on earth. Jesus did perform mighty deeds with his arm by healing the sick, touching the lepers, healing the blind, opening the ears of the deaf, bringing the dead to life. Jesus did scatter those who were proud in their innermost thoughts by calling out the religious leaders for the hypocrisy and disdain for the marginalized. Jesus did lift up the humble, by eating with them and loving the uh, eating and loving, eating with and loving the marginalized and oppressed and those on the outskirts of society. Jesus did remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised their ancestors. And this was accomplished by Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, again to defeat sin, death, and shame once and for all. He has proven to be the long-awaited Messiah that was foretold centuries ago by the prophet Isaiah. And this prophet shared a message uh, about a person who will be given a key to the house of David on his shoulder. And this key is a sign of authority. It's a symbol of privilege where he can choose to open or close the door to anyone. And instead of using this power to favor those who are wealthy or influential, Jesus sides with the neglected and the forgotten, the poor and the hungry, the hurt and the broken. Jesus opens wide the newly heavenly home for anyone who trusts him. Jesus makes safe the way that leads on high to anyone who finds assurance in him. The path to misery is no more. And that's why we can sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. God swore to be with us, hence the name Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has proven to be trustworthy time and time again because God will always do what he says. His speaking is his doing. His speaking is his doing. And the promises foretold are always true, even when they don't end up looking like what we anticipated them to. 
And I'm sure many of us resonate with Mary's situation where expectations don't match with reality. Maybe God removes something from our, from our life, which ends up being life-giving. The Lord may heal a relationship by actually helping us through that relationship ending. And that was for the best. Jesus may answer a prayer that didn't make sense right away, but proves, uh, but proves God to be dependable. And this is what it looks like for me. Uh, I had a meeting with the spiritual director uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, spiritual direction is basically a session where you and a spiritual director listen together to hear what God is speaking into your life at that moment. Uh, this is an intentional time of, of a quiet space that allows you to listen to the Holy Spirit without any distractions. And occasionally the, the director prompts a question or two, and afterwards uh, it's just more reflection and listening. Uh, it's a really powerful experience, experience, and I highly recommend it. Um, during my session, though, the director opens up uh, with our time with Psalm 130, and one of the verses goes like this. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. After a moment of quiet, the Holy Spirit brings to my mind of how I need more margin for listening and waiting for God. Uh, it's the posture of listening and waiting for God where he shows up and not only doing, doing things for God in ministry. And this hits me pretty hard because I love to serve others. It's one of my love languages. It's really easy for me to just go, go, go. But I need to embrace being present with God just as much as doing things for God, if not more. And my value as a human doesn't stem from my ability to give to others or to serve others. Instead, I am valued for who I am and not what I do. And isn't this also true for us about, about us and God? Remember, Jesus didn't die for us when we're perfect or blameless or try to earn enough love from him. God loves us when we're broken. It is while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us while we were still flawed, imperfect, and undeserving. And what an unexpected uh, outcome that Jesus died for us while we're a mess. But here's the thing. God remains faithful even though we're not. Jesus always keeps his promise even though it might look differently than what we had expected it. Uh, that was true for Mary, and this is certainly true for us. God promises to be with us forever and always. And, God, and the Lord promises himself, Emmanuel, God with us. How about you? Where are you expecting God to show up? In what ways are you expecting God to arrive? How has God shown his faithfulness to you in your waiting? How are you anticipating Jesus' return? No matter how long we wait in the Advent season, Jesus will remain faithful, uh, regardless of how our expectations of him match reality. Let's pray.
Jesus, we praise you. We praise you for who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for remaining faithful to us, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your word is dependable. And thank you that we can look to you when life just doesn't make sense or when we're just so anxious and we don't know what the next steps are, that you will remain faithful. And so let us uh, cling on to your promises. Let us look to you as we continue uh, to worship you in our lives. Pray this in your son's name.